Holy Spirit, um, we don't talk about sex in church. It's like not allowed. Um, but I thank you. That's not actually your heart. Um, we thank you that every part of our lives were meant to be integrated into the gospel, into our walk with you. And we repent for not making space to talk about sex and our sexuality and our longings and desires. And so today, would you give us a balanced, gospel-centered perspective and understanding about sex and how it relates to our walk with you? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I think it's safe to say that many of us in the church struggle to live with the healthy, holistic, and anxiety-free view of our sexuality as it relates to our spirituality. And I think for many of us, there's been this great divorce between sexuality and spirituality, especially here in the West. Case in point, how many of you ever talked about sex in the churches that you grew up in? It's like a hush topic, right? Or they would just preach about it and say, don't do it. But there would be no robust space or place available where we can actually process our sexuality and our spirituality together. Now, I want to make a distinction. Um, I'm not actually going to be talking about um, sexual orientation or the gender spectrum or anything like that. When I talk about sexuality today, I'm actually talking about how every one of us were created as sexual beings, that God designed us with deep longings and desires that relate specifically to our bodies. And you probably discovered this about yourself sometime in middle school or high school, right? That we have longings and desires that relate to our bodies, but oftentimes we, we separate it, we divorce it from our walk with God, from our lives of faith. And if we really believe that God has the power to touch and transform every part of our lives, we have to believe that he has something beautiful that he wants to bring out of our sexuality, of our longings and desires. That is, sexuality is a vital part of our formational journey. Some of y'all are like asking, why are we talking about sex in the formation series? I'm telling you because sexuality is a vital part of our formation that God wants us to submit to him and come into alignment with this truth about. So unfortunately, modern day culture has reduced sexuality to nothing more than just an act of sex. But what I want to tell you today is sexuality is so much more than just a booty call. It's more than just hooking up. It's more than just getting laid. There's something deeper beneath our sexuality. I think Deborah Hirsch, who authors a lot about this, has something really significant to contribute in this. I love her definitions of spirituality and sexuality, and I want to share with you really quick, and we have it up on the screen. She says this, spirituality can be described as a vast longing that drives us beyond ourselves in an attempt to connect with, to probe, and to understand our world. And beyond that, it's the inner compulsion to connect with the eternal other, which is God. Essentially, it is a longing to know and be known by God on physical, emotional, psychological, and spiritual levels. Love that. I think we get that. But sexuality, I love her definition. She says this, can be described as the deep desire and longing that drives us beyond ourselves in an attempt to connect with, to understand that which is other than ourselves. Essentially, it's a longing to know and be known by other people on physical, emotional, psychological, and spiritual levels. What is she saying? That deep beneath our sexual desires is a longing to know and be known by others in a physical, emotional, psychological, and spiritual way. And this is the definition of sexuality that we're going to be going off today. Not just a physical act, but a deeper longing 
to know and to be known by others. Isn't that beautiful? And this is what we're going to be talking about in regards to our sexuality. And the question I want to ask you is this. What would it look like to understand our sexuality as it relates to our formation? What do we do to join our spirituality and sexuality in ways that lead to greater wholeness in our relationship to God and in our relationship with ourselves and in our relationship with others? You guys excited about that? Yeah, I could tell. Okay, real quick, Christopher West, he writes about these, this thing that he calls the three diets of sexual formation, these three ways that we approach our sexuality. And the first he calls the starvation diet. Now, in the starvation diet, we see our longings and our desires, particularly our sexual longings and desires, as aspects of our humanity that need to be rejected, suppressed, or ignored. And this is particularly prevalent in the church. You know, when I was growing up, um, there was this thing that was a worldwide phenomenon called purity rings. You guys grow up? How many of you had purity rings growing up? I had one myself. And people would wear these rings. Fatai still wears it. He's married. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Just joking. People would wear these rings as a sign of abstinence. From sex until marriage and teen celebs like Miley Cyrus, Demi Lovato, Selena Gomez, even the Jonas Brothers would rock these purity rings. There's also a book that came out during that time called I Kiss Dating Goodbye by Joshua Harris who actually recanted his faith and, and said his book was harmful. Um, but all these things were coming out at the same time and there's nothing inherently wrong with the idea of abstinence. The problem is the only message that people were hearing about sex was don't do it. And so you got to abstain, abstain, abstain. And there was no robust understanding of why and how God actually feels about sex. And so it became this legalistic thing that led to a lot of people living with shame and carrying the burden of, man, I have this inner desire to want to have sex, um, but it's a bad thing in God's eyes. And so a lot of people walked in shame. They walked in guilt, and it became this legalistic thing. There's stories of people growing up having such a warped, negative association with sex, all because they, all they knew that God said about it was, no, don't do it, the starvation diet. A study in 2009 um, that was published actually found that there was no difference in sexual behavior between people who wore purity rings and did not. So the end result is it it didn't work, okay? It didn't work. And it's not that abstinence is a bad thing. I think it's a beautiful idea that the gospel actually leads us to, but it's that there was no space to talk about and explore sexuality in the church, in a spiritual space. Um, A few years ago at my last church, I preached a message called God Loves Sex. And in the message... Pretty much the whole message, I was just yelling the whole time, God loves sex, God loves sex. And I can't tell you how many people came up to me afterwards and said, thank you, pastor. Like we never talked about sex as it relates to our faith in our entire time at church, in our entire lives. And people would be listening to it at work. And you know, sometimes when you wear earbuds and the people next to you could hear it and all their coworkers are hearing is God loves sex. They're like, what are you listening to, bro? And that day actually happened to be the day where uh, two of our church members, uh, moms came to service and it's, it's just great. Okay. I loved it. But it just showed me that people in the church grow up starved. That we never talk about our sexuality, our longings and desires, and we feel starved. And the only message that we hear is don't do it. It's dangerous. And after time, what happens is we start believing that God actually doesn't like sex all that much. 
And we end up feeling shame because we do like sex and we want it. We're wired for it. We were created with these longings and desires. And this kind of theology permeates our churches so that there's no space to talk about our bodies, our desires, and our sexuality. They become topics we avoid at all costs. There was a pretty influential church father. You guys are going to love this. In the third century, his name was Origen. Some of you might have heard of him, but he believed, this was his theology, he believed that sexual passion was an obstacle to experiencing true joy in God. And in typical um, extreme fashion, according to church tradition, he believed this so much that he allegedly took this theology so seriously that he actually ended up castrating himself to eliminate himself from any sexual desire for the women that he was teaching. It's kind of like, hey, want get, to get rid of ungodly desires? Join the castration community group meeting every Wednesday, right? That's, that's how extreme he took his theology. And I think for many of us, we've attached so much shame to our bodies and to the conversation about sexuality that we suppress it all and we end up starving. Man, guys, I've been in this game for a long time. I can't tell you how many couples we meet with after marriage that have sexual dysfunctions in their relationships because for their whole lives, all their associations with the topic of sex were negative. And it was harmful. What ends up happening is we suppress and we suppress and we suppress and we eventually end up acting out. That's why we have so many secrets in the church. Why? Because we haven't normalized talking about our bodies, our desires, our sexuality. And so we keep it hidden and buried, often in shame, when it should be as normal as talking about prayer and worship and fellowship. It's all formational. And so instead of church being the place where we help people make sense of their sexuality in light of God, it becomes a topic that's forbidden and taboo where we hide and conceal or buried in shame, our sexuality becomes an obstacle and hindrance to spirituality instead of a means towards God. And so this is the first, the starvation diet. The second, Christopher West calls the fast food diet. If the starvation diet is all about repression, the fast food diet is all about reduction. Okay, this diet attempts to reduce our deepest longings to something purely physical, purely animalistic and nothing more. This diet says whatever you desire, you deserve it. Does it feel right? Go after it. Obey your thirst. Sprite. It says leave leave God out of the conversation and we place our human desire at the center of sexuality. And it's this casual posture that people take towards sex and sexuality. Sex is no longer a sacred act. It's just something we do for fun and pleasure. In the starvation diet that we talked about before, the soul is exalted to the point of denying the body. But in the fast food diet, the body is exalted to the point of denying the soul. And the danger of this diet, it's a cheap imitation of true sexuality. It promises deep fulfillment and satisfaction, but it never can deliver. Um, in college, you know, college students eat so horribly. And I remember there's a Del Taco near our house. And I remember one night, me and three other brothers, we went to Del Taco. We bought 50 soft chicken tacos. And we just scarfed it all down in the most unhealthy college way. And it tasted really good at the moment. But what happens after a few hours, we started feeling sick. Fast food usually tastes good in the moment, but you almost always regret it later. Isn't that true? 
And when we treat sex so casually, when we treat it like fast food and we don't see it as sacred or anything spiritual deeper, although you might feel satisfaction in the moment, mm, tastes good, it ultimately makes you sick. And I think more often than not, what happens in the church is we spend so much time living starved when it comes to sexuality that there comes a time where we can't hold it in any longer and we just go off, right? We just go off. That's the only way I can describe Not off, but off, okay? Think sheltered PK going off to college and going ham, right? We suppress for so long that there comes a point, a boiling point, where I just cannot suppress it any longer. And so now I'm just going to end up indulging in the freedom of sleeping with whoever I want, whenever I want. And listen, I've talked to so many people that went down that road thinking that, no, I spent my whole life suppressing this, so now I'm just going to be free. I've talked to so many people that completely indulged in hookup culture, casually sleeping around. You know what they told me? They ultimately found that it left them just as empty and lost on the other side. It feels like freedom in the moment, but it's actually just another form of bondage. How many of you know it's possible to become slaves to our own desires? I think one of the things, the lies that our culture believes is that total freedom is freedom. But I think that sometimes our, our desires, when we're led and driven by our passions and desires, it, it can be another form of bondage. We can become slaves to that which we desire. The danger of the fast food diet is this unrealistic expectation that we attach to the fulfillment of sexual desire, that eventually we find that we've placed too much weight on other people and on sexual experiences to satisfy the deep need of our souls. There's a theologian by a popular, um, there's a quote by this popular theologian, G.K. Chesterton, or people think that he quoted this, they're not sure, but he said this, the man who rings the bell at the brothel unconsciously does so seeking God. Now, I took the liberty of modernizing it, and this is my version, the one who swipes right on Tinder unconsciously does so seeking God. Why? This is, you could quote this on Twitter if you want. If you want a tweetable, this is the one. Why? Your friends are like, what'd you learn in church today? Because there's a deep longing in our souls that sex can't fill, as amazing as it is, as beautiful a gift as it is. There's a deep longing in our souls that only God could satisfy. You know, the famous uh, quote by C.S. Lewis, you know, if I find myself a desire which no experience in this world, I was made for another world, right? Have you read the quote in its full context? This is the full context of that quote. He says this, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. Humans feel sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, then most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. In other words, there's this deep longing that nothing in this world can satisfy. And sex, as amazing as it is, as beautiful as it is, cannot satisfy the deep needs of our souls. Only God has the ability to do that. There's a reason why at the height of the sexual revolution, why at the height of the summer of love, emerged the greatest Jesus movement we've seen in all of history. Why? Because people tried this fast food diet approach of sex. They tried free love. They tried indulging in every and every desire. They tried treating sex casually, but it ultimately left them empty. 
So while the starvation diet has no imagination to see sexuality as a means toward God, the fast food diet elevates sexuality to being its own God. And both are missing the point. We can't suppress and we can't hush. But at the same time, we're not called to freely indulge without any discernment or wisdom. Both are missing the point. What we need is a vision for sexual wholeness. Another way beyond repressing our sexuality and another way besides completely indulging in it and making it the master of our own lives. And I think Rich Velotis, he has a very helpful definition. And I read this the other day and I actually teared up because I thought it was so beautiful. He says this, sexual wholeness is the prayerful integration of our spirituality and sexuality resulting in deep, satisfying relationships with others that roots out shame, cultivates vulnerability, and leads to healthy bonding. When I'm talking about sexual wholeness, I'm not just talking about keeping in the pants. I'm not talking about living this moralistic, clean life. I'm talking about this vision of beauty where we can have a healthy relationship between sexuality and spirituality, where we can have relationships where there's no shame, where there's vulnerability, where we can actually have healthy bonding. Doesn't that sound amazing? Don't you want this? I want this for my life. And so I want to look at Genesis chapter 2. A lot of you know this passage Um, But we're going to go through this narrative to help us make sense of what sexual wholeness for us can look like in the modern day age. The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Here we see humanity at its most free, most whole, most fulfilled state. We see the beautiful integration of sexuality and spirituality. That is, they fully knew God and they were fully known by God. They fully knew one another and they were fully known by one another. This was sexual wholeness. And the first thing I want us to note is this sexuality is part of God's good creation. That the way we talk about sex, it makes it feel like sexual desire came after the fall, which is absolutely blasphemous. Sex and sexual desire existed before sin entered into the world. It was a beautiful thing. God loves sex. I won't shout it. Don't worry. God loves sex. He created sex and sexual desire as gifts to be enjoyed. From the very beginning, sexuality was an integral part of humanity and spirituality. That is, when our sexual sexual desires are ordered rightly, they bring us into deeper union with God and deeper communion with each other. And this is the vision for sexuality that God had from the very beginning, that the love of God doesn't rid us of our desires or longings. It just reorders them so that they can be fully enjoyed. In other words, sex is a sacred gift. It's spiritual. It points to something greater 
outside of ourselves. And this is the beauty of sex. It's meant to express with our entire bodies the fullness and, of covenant love and union that we have with another. It's not just our bodies colliding with each other. It's not just flesh pounding on flesh. Like, what was that? I'm not going to sing the song. It's just not that. It's an act of vulnerability that says, I have nothing to hide, and all that I am is yours. It's an act of self-giving love that points to something beyond ourselves. I would go so far as to say that sex tells the story of God's covenant love for us. The giving of his body for ours. The covenant he wraps his love in that says, I will never leave you. My love is yours unconditionally and forever. Sex is our bodies expressing that covenantal love with one another. There's this quote that Richard Wagamese, he says, that I think illustrates this beautifully, what sex actually is. He says this, I don't want to touch you skin to skin. I want to touch you deeply beneath the surface where our real stories lie. Touch you where the fragments of our being are, where the sediment of things that shaped us forms the verdant delta of our human story. I want to bump against you and feel the rush of contact and ask important questions and offer compelling answers so that together we might learn to live beneath the surface where the current bears us forward deeper into the great ocean of shared experience. This is how I want to be touched and be touched through beingness so that someday I might discover that even the skin remembers. Damn. Isn't that a beautiful vision for sexuality and sex? Not just two bodies colliding into each other, but a sacred, spiritual, deep act that expresses full covenantal love. I'm not going to get too much into detail about my wedding night, um, but I, w- I do want to tell you this. When Chris and I got married, and, you know, both of us, we, we did... We didn't wear purity rings, sorry, but we did save ourselves for marriage. And so when we had sex on our wedding night, it was a first time for both of us. And I remember thinking as we were having sex, um, I remember thinking, this is so beautiful, not just because it feels good, not just because it's fun and pleasurable, but because I feel like with my entire body, I'm expressing, I love you forever. And it's like this act, this physical act was just an expression of me saying, I'm committed to you for this entire life. There will never be another. You are the only body I'm giving my body to. And there's something sacred, spiritual, and beautiful about that. I mean, I had a pastor friend that was in typical pastor fashion, listening to Hillsong when they had sex. And I was like, I'm not about that, okay? (laughs) Maybe a Brooke Fraser song, but maybe, okay? But we didn't take it that far. But nonetheless, there was something spiritual and sacred about our sexual act. In other words, it wasn't just fun, and it just didn't feel good. It's, it's as if, with my entire body, I was expressing, I love you forever, not just for right now, but I love you and only you forever. I want to notice at the end of the, the passage that we read today, Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Can you even imagine a life without any shame. I, I find it really hard to imagine a life with no shame. Here's one truth that I think we all would do better to embrace. We are all sexually broken in some way. 
every single one of us, when we think of our bodies and sexuality, it's often done under the burden of shame, regret, grief, insecurity, anger. We've been wounded by others, and we've wounded others. We've been used by others, and we've used others. We believe lies about our bodies, about our sexuality. We've been traumatized by destructive acts against our humanity. We've been damaged by bad theology about sex. Many of us are sexually wounded. And for many of us, shame goes hand in hand when it comes to the topic of sexuality, doesn't it? Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Imagine this. Their love for each other was so free, free from body shaming, free from comparison, free from objectification, free from insecurity and the needing to hide. I tell this story often because it was very impactful to my formation, but when I went to Korea, they have Korean bathhouses called Jimjibang, and in Korean bathhouses, you walk into same-gendered bathhouses completely in the nude. And I remember I was with my friend Jason, who the only way I could describe, he has the body of a god, perfect chiseled six-pack abs, like he's amazing. And I remember we walked into this bathhouse, and when he walked in, all the old Korean men, ajushis that were washing themselves, it was like he was walking in slow motion. They're like, oh. And then I remember walking in after him. And it felt like everyone's eyes were burning holes through my body, seeing every imperfection. And I remember feeling so much shame and the, the, the wanting to hide. And I think many of us, when we think about our bodies, that's the way we approach it. That we feel so much shame. We notice all the parts of our bodies that are imperfect, that aren't as beautiful or as perfect as we would like them to be. And we have this... This, this notion of shame that we've carried our entire lives when it comes to our bodies, our longings, and our sexuality. The other day, I, um, I was holding Zion, my son. He just turned six months uh, a few weeks ago. By the way, we started sleep training a few days ago, and I have my nights back. Like, I am literally a phoenix emerging from the ashes. 8.30 p.m. to 8.30 a.m. is daddy time. It's my own time now, and I, it's a breakthrough. Anyway, I remember holding Zion, and um, it was right before bath. And before bath, I take off all his clothes, and he's buck naked. And I'm just flying him throughout the house. <laughs> I remember looking at his face and thinking, God, you know no shame. Like, you know no shame. There's nothing that you want to hide about yourself. And there's, there's nothing that you're not willing to just reveal and own and be joyful about. And I remember thinking, that's the way that we were meant to live. And I remember looking at Zion thinking, man, if I could just be like you again. And we were all once children. There was once a time where you lived with no shame. Like Zion literally has no shame about the rolls on his body, about pooping himself, peeing himself, about his imperfect. There's none of that. And that's the way that we were meant to live, free from the bondage of shame. See, guilt says I did something bad, but shame says I am something bad. It's an identity issue. A few chapters, uh, uh, the next chapter, Genesis 3, 7, after they eat from the tree, it says the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and they made for themselves loincloths. For the first time, humanity feels shame. Just a verse ago, they were naked and they felt no shame. Hear me, church, shame is the root the enemy uses to pervert our sexuality. 
Shame is the thing that the enemy uses to make us want to conceal our bodies, to conceal our sexual desires and long, conceal our, our sexuality. And we spend our entire lives trying to cover ourselves up. When Adam and Eve, it says in this verse, they tried sewing fig leaves together to cover their shame. The question I want to ask you is this, what are the fig leaves that you've tried to cover yourself with? Is it money or success? Is it the appearance of having it all together? Is it your faith? What do we use to conceal ourselves, to hide our shame? But here's the beautiful thing. Adam and Eve, they hid behind a tree, it says. They hid behind a tree, naked and conquered by shame. But what happens with Jesus? Notice this, Jesus, what does he do? While Adam and Eve hid behind a tree, Jesus hangs on a tree. While Adam and Eve were naked and conquered by shame, Jesus hanging on a tree was naked, but he overcame shame. This beautiful parallel image, and this is the good news of the gospel, that shame doesn't get the last word. Shame doesn't have the final victory. Our desires no longer need to be disordered. We can live in the freedom that comes in the name of Jesus, but only when we order our desires rightly and say, sexuality, I submit it to you, God, but you are the only one that can satisfy the deep needs of our souls. And so I want to just spend the rest of our time just giving you practical things. Um, I want to give you two things, three things maybe. What does it look like to be a community committed to this vision for sexual wholeness? To live without shame, to live completely vulnerable, loving lives. And I want to give you three things. The first is this, the practice of rewriting unhealthy narratives. Everybody, everybody has a story, but everybody has a story too. Stories of pain, pleasure, frustration, abuse, nurture, regret, shame, and even love. We experience these stories in our bodies. They're not just things that we experience emotionally or mentally. And if you know, if you've ever been through a tough season, you feel it in your body because we are holistic beings. And so it affects how we relate and interact with each other. And the question is this, how do we honor our bodies? How do we honor the bodies of others? How do we love God well with our bodies and with our sexuality? And we begin by asking, what are some of the messages we've believed about our bodies that don't align with the truth of God, that cause us to hide ourselves in shame and sow fig leaves over ourselves? Some of the lies might be this, that there are some bodies that are worthy of love and some that are not. Maybe the lie that any impulse I have must be satisfied right now. That waiting is not necessary. That sex and sexual performance define me. That sex is only a physical act. That my partner exists only for my pleasure. Sex will ultimately satisfy me. These are all narratives that we've believed about our sexuality that don't align to the truth of God. And the, name of, the act of naming out these messages we believe can actually help us become aware of the lies and scripts that God is inviting us to rewrite, the narratives he call, he's calling us to reframe. Maybe you believe the lie that someone will only love you if you have sex with them, but the gospel says you're worthy of love because you are mine. Maybe you believe the lie that in order to feel powerful, you have to sexually conquer others, but the gospel says that strength is made perfect in weakness and humility and meekness. Maybe you live with bodily shame, believing the lie that you're not desirable, but the gospel says you are beautiful and that Jesus' broken and crucified body frees you from the bondage of shame. We are called to rewrite the unhealthy narratives that we have about sexuality. Harry Potter, in the world of Harry Potter, Voldemort 
was a name to be feared. In fact, his name was so feared and people were so terrified of him that they would never even say his name. They referred to him only as you know who or he who must not be named. And the only wizards who actually called Voldemort by his name were Harry Potter and Dumbledore. And in and if you, if you go on in the story, Harry is actually the one who defeats Voldemort. In calling Voldemort by his name, he was releasing himself from the power of fear that his name carried. What I want to tell you is part of our victory over the lies of the enemy come when we're able to name that which must not be named. When we're able to name that which must not be named. When we have the courage to release ourselves from the power of shame and fear. When we're able to tell our stories and say, I should have been destroyed, but I'm still here. Shame thrives in silence. Fear festers in the dark. It's only when we bring things into the light that God can begin to touch it and heal it and restore it. You know, uh, Lion King is such a prophetic movie. Simba, anything the light touches is yours. Anything the light touches in our lives is actually what we submit to God where he can actually move. It's only when we bring things into light that we can experience true healing. So the practice of rewriting unhealthy narratives. But the second is this, the practice of cultivating intimacy. How is it that we can be surrounded in a city like San Francisco by so many people and still feel so freaking lonely? How is it that we can have thousands of friends on social media but still feel so disconnected? And I'll tell you why. It's because loneliness isn't resolved just by physical proximity or by how many followers you have on Insta or TikTok. We are wired for intimacy for deep emotional connection with other human beings. But here's the thing. Intimacy requires vulnerability. And vulnerability is letting people see the authentic me with no masks on, just completely myself. I love Brene Brown's definition of authenticity. She says, authenticity is the practice, the daily practice. It's not something that you just step into. It's the daily practice of letting go of who we think we should be and embracing who we actually are. Letting go of who we think we should be and embracing who we actually are. When's the last time you let someone see the real you? When's the last time that you practiced vulnerability and said, you can see me, scars and all, rolls and all. You can see me as I am. Because it's only through vulnerability where we can cultivate true intimacy. You know, not to plug community groups, but... Our last community group uh, meeting last season that Dan hosted in his house was probably one of the most powerful CGs that I've ever been to. And I'm not just saying that because they're trying to plug it, but it was beautiful because Dan did this thing called 15 Toasts where all of us would come and we we would share a story of something that God did in us during that season and reveal to us uh, with the theme of beauty, which is what we were going through as a church, and we would toast to it. And the reason why it was so beautiful was because people were so vulnerable. And people were telling these stories, like literally I think there are six times that we all cried um, because the stories were so beautiful and vulnerable. People weren't trying to hide behind a mask or a front and it just was honest and authentic and true. Intimacy comes with vulnerability. But I want to speak to you single folks for a second because I think it's easy for me as a married man to say, oh yeah, intimacy, of course. But how many of you know that intimacy isn't just cultivated in marriage? It can also be cultivated in singleness. 
I think for so many, singleness carries the stigma of, you know, not being chosen, of, uh, of feeling unloved, undesired, lonely, and alone. And singleness means living life in limbo, waiting in despair until finally I could arrive in marriage. Can I give you a newsflash? You never arrive. Marriage will not satisfy the deep longings of your heart. It's amazing. But there's a deep longing that only God can fill. But, but we can actually tap into that when we're intimate with others. Hear me, church. To be sexual doesn't only mean to be sexually active. And I want to make a distinction between sex, general sexuality and social sexuality. There's a difference between the two. Remember, if we hold to our definition of sexuality in the beginning, the longing to know and to be known... It's possible to live a fulfilled life even if we never have genital sex. I want to give you an example. So sexual intercourse, you know, it's a beautiful sign of God's covenantal love, but it's not the only way to live our sexuality to its fullest. What do I mean by that? I want us to look at Jesus. When people think of Jesus, we imagine that he didn't have any sexual energy in his body, right? Most of us view Jesus as asexual that he didn't have any sexual longing or desire. But, but think about this. If sexuality was a part of God's design for humanity, and the Bible says Jesus was fully human, he must have been fully sexual as well, right? Because he lived full humanity. Yet Jesus died as a 33-year-old virgin, yet no one could say that anything was lacking in Jesus' humanity and his life. What does that mean? It means that he lived completely fulfilled, even though he never had sex. That his sexuality was perfectly expressed, even though he never engaged in genital sexuality. That is, Jesus lived the human experience to the full. He connected with others intimately, compassionately, sacrificially. He gave his body for the ones that he loved. And even Jesus, being fully God and fully human, understood this need for intimacy in his life. That intimacy was actually an expression of his sexuality, even if sex wasn't involved. He gathered disciples around him. He feasted at parties. He received love. He confessed his weaknesses. He revealed intimate details about himself. He gave and received tender physical touch. You don't have to be married to feel fulfilled. You don't have to get laid to live content. Even in singleness, it's possible to express our sexuality through intimacy with others. It's possible even in our friendships, our communities, our deep bonds with one another to find fulfillment and intimacy. So the practice of rewriting our harmful narratives, and the second, the practice of intimacy. Last one, I'll just kind of breeze through, the practice of touch, physical touch. Um, when we brought Zion home from the hospital, there's this thing that they have every parent do. It's called skin to skin, and it is my favorite time. Basically, you get Zion's little naked body, and then you... You also get a little naked. You could just take off your shirt and you just lie together, skin. There's no feeling better than holding your baby just skin to skin. Why? Because intimate touch, physical touch is important to our physical, emotional maturity, to our development. And I would say, I would argue the same for our spiritual formation. Touch is actually such an important part of our journey of formation, that there were times where Jesus, he could just say a word from a distance, you are healed, and they would be healed. But more times than not, you know what Jesus did? He would lay his hands on people as he prayed for them. He would get down in the dirt. He would hold people. He would touch them physically. And demonstrating the power of God through human touch, Jesus wasn't just healing a body. He was restoring a community. 
He was showing a people how to live in intimacy. And one way is through the power of touch. This is why for the last two years, virtual church just did not work for you. It just did not scratch the itch that you were longing for in community and spirituality because it's always a poor substitute for physically gathering with people, being around someone, feeling their breath, maybe not with our masks on, but feeling their warmth, feeling their presence, touching other people. And as we pass on peace to each other through handshakes, hugs, and kisses, we find something in our humanity being touched and renewed. The practice of touch can be developed even just by showing up to church. You being here is touching the people around you. And so even if you're wearing a red sticker, I don't know if some of you are, and you're not physically hugging someone or touching them, you can still touch them with your physical presence. And so these are three ways that we can practically pursue sexual wholeness in our lives, rewriting destructive and harmful narratives, the practice of intimacy and the practice of touch, and all of these things can help us Express our sexuality without having to go to bed with someone. I think it's a powerful thing. And so in the beginning, um, you might have noticed uh, Christopher West made three diets of sexual formation. The first was starvation diet. The second was fast food diet. I want to tell you the third. The last diet, he says, he calls the banquet. And the gospel offers us a banquet a feast that doesn't just fill our bellies with tasty things, but nourishes our souls as well. A love that covers over shame and rewrites the narrative that heals and makes us whole and beautiful. There is an invitation, church, to the banquet, whether you're married or single, to a life full of communion, joy, delight, and connection and intimacy. And this is what Jesus invites us into today. So right now, I want to invite us into a time of response. So would you close your eyes with me as we invite Holy Spirit? I know that was really teaching heavy, and there's a lot that we're probably chewing on and and thinking about. But there are two things that I believe God wants to do today. Number one, I think he wants to destroy shame. I feel like some of us have been carrying shame for so long in our lives And there are a few things that I feel like God wants us to release. The first, the shame of our bodies, physically. Like you're ashamed of your body. Uh, For some of you, it's hard to look in the mirror every morning and see yourself as beautiful, to see yourself as worthy of love. And the second thing that I feel like God wants you to release in that area is shame about your sexuality, about your desires and your longings. I feel like God wants us to release and lay down the burden of those two things, the shame of our bodies and the shame of our sexual longings and desires. Right now, God, would you take our shame? I thank you, Lord, that for many of us, we're always trying to hide behind the tree, but you hung on that tree that we hid behind. You hang on that tree that we hide behind, naked, And you say, I have overcome shame. I have overcome your need to hide, your need to conceal, your need to conceal yourself. So right now, God, we give you our shame. We say that we are beautifully made in your image and that we don't need to hide any longer. We say even our longings and desires are good and beautiful and we don't have to suppress them any longer. 
But at the same time, God, would you give us a heart to submit them to you, to invite you into our sexuality, to invite you into our bodies and see what you have to say, not to live driven by our own desires or our own understanding, but submitted to you. We give it to you right now, God. The second thing I feel like God wants us to do, he wants us to rewrite unhealthy narratives. What are some of the narratives you believed about sex, about you, about your bodies, that God wants you to rewrite? Right now, God, would you begin rewriting narratives? Would you begin giving us truth, align us to your reality? God, we lay down all the lies that we've heard, and we say that we want your truth as our portion. Invite us into your banquet. Some of us, we've been using sex to satisfy a deep longing, and it's never quite filled us. Some of us, we've been using sex, objectifying others for our own pleasure, trying to heal by trying to conquer others. We've been using sex to mask our insecurities or pain. But I hear hear God saying, I have a better way. I have a better way. Right now, would you allow God to rewrite the narratives of sexuality and longings that you've held and believed? God, I know... um, This is literally just scratching the surface. But I believe you're beginning a deep inner work in some of our lives right now. Thank you for freeing us from the bondage of shame. God, we pray that we would have a vision of sexual wholeness. Help us remember Zion. Help us remember what it was like when we were young, where we were unafraid, where we knew no shame, where we didn't have to conceal And where we can pursue you wholeheartedly without having to give up sexuality or our desires. We pray that you would continue giving us wisdom as we integrate these two in this formational journey. We love you, God. Would you be with us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.